0: Maybe you just come on, come on deck, be ready to go. But uh, there's a microphone there. And again, I apologize to the Kisu family for uh, for not having that uh, ready to go the way they wanted to. But I'll tell you, you did an awesome job, awesome job putting that together. So thankful. <laughs> and uh, here is yours, Birkin. Is yours, Birkin? Okay, um, first of all, I'm going to start with uh, Barry, because Barry was the leader for the uh, Kitway team. And uh, as, as you know, uh, Dennis, or maybe you don't know, Dennis was the leader for the Chihuahua team. And Janet was the project manager. Manager. She did a lot of the behind-the-scenes work for the, for, is it eight months, Janet, working on this? Eight months leading up to, um, up to this trip. And uh, before I go any further, i got to just tell you this that our time there was absolutely worth it. It was absolutely worth every, every minute and every bit of effort so much. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. And it says the congregation in Antioch was blessed with a number of prophet teachers and preachers. Barnabas, Simon, Lucius, Manan, uh, and Saul. And one day as they were worshiping God, the Bible says, they were also fasting as they waited for guidance. And the Holy Spirit spoke: Take Barnabas and Saul, also called Paul, and commission them for the work I have called them to do. So they commissioned them. And in that circle of intensity and obedience, of fasting and praying, they laid hands on their heads and sent them off. And that's what we did before we headed out to Africa. We had the whole team come, and we prayed for them, we laid hands on them, and we uh, asked you to remember these people in prayer. And we just want to say, first of all, thank you so much for that. Now here's the thing. Um, when, the, when the disciples, are when the missionaries got back, they gave a report. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 14, verses 26-27. to 27. So Acts 13 talks about the missionaries being sent out, and Acts chapter 14, at the end of the chapter, talks about them coming home. And listen to what it says. It says in Acts 14, 26 to 27, Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. And that's exactly what's happened. We've come home now, and we've come to tell you about the work that we've completed. It says that upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And so this morning, we wanted to share with you a little bit about what God was able to do through the team that this church sent out. And so just before we talk to these folks, there's a video clip. If you would just play that clip quickly, and uh, and may uh, your hearts be stirred by this.
1: water. There's no light. We were having problems because the well was dry. The pipes were broken, so they said we'll help you. So I met with Pastor Allen's brother. (laughs) They're going to help us. There's a container coming. It is now in Tanzania, believe it or not. (laughs) All that container or some pipes. When it arrive here in Gitway, the plumbers are coming from Canada. They're going to help us with the fight in. we well. Did you hit water? Deep are you.
2: How
3: many
2: meters? Uh, and here we are at Weston Place.
3: I'm completely overwhelmed.
1: I'm just in awe. And
3: I feel so blessed.
1: And now I have to go, I'm going to cry. Awful.
2: Again, thank you so much for
0: praying for us. Uh, I know that uh, while we were away, we asked that a bit more money be collected so that we could continue with some of the projects that we hadn't planned on, but God showed us uh, as we were on site what needed to be done. Um, so Barry, just tell us a little bit about, uh, about your team, what they did, and uh, what kind of effect did it have on, on you personally? Okay, you had to start with me. Um, <laughs> I like to uh, come across as a kind of a person in control, Uh, rough, tough, kind of a wannabe. Unfortunately, I have a heart of mush. The um, team that went to Kitway was a fantastic team. I was totally blessed to have the individuals that were there. Not everyone's here this morning, unfortunately, because of work and some are still on vacation. But um, just a fantastic team that God put together. Uh, we had the medical team led by Dr. Shane Hartree. And uh, the medical team looked after so many people, and not just in the Village of Hope, but also the people from the nearby community from the Racecourse area, which is a, a huge, huge, very poor uh, neighborhood and um, the medical team was was incredibly effective by ministering uh, health and advice to uh, the people both at the village of hope all the students all the the house mothers and the aunties that look after these children and the staff but also to the people in the community and uh, it was hard hard work they they labored very hard every single day and were exhausted by the end of every day um, because of those efforts Um, the um, The VBS team that was there, um, like Pastor Alan indicated, um, things just don't always happen the way you plan, and so you roll with it, and you change those plans to suit what God has intended for you to do. The first day of VBS was overwhelming, to say the least, 600-plus children with eight people to deal with it, Um, but uh, God is so good. We got through that day. I thought as team leader I'd just be able to walk around and kind of supervise, you know, put on my hat, but um, like I do at work every day, but that didn't work. Um, had to get dirty. And uh, we had an absolute hoot. Those kids are amazing, uh, the children both in the village and the children that come every day from Racecourse to be a part of that school, um, just fantastic. Um, <sighs> if you were able to go there and not be touched, then you have to be made of stone to see the love in their eyes. To see how happy they are with so little. And to think of how blessed we are right here, right now. If you see that, and don't think for one moment that you want to do more, then I'm sorry, my friend, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your heart. We have so much in this land. If you don't want to share, God needs to do a work in your life this morning. They have nothing. And yet they're blessed. They're so happy. They love God. So if anything, today, whether you've been home here, some of us have gone on the trip, we're forever changed. There's no question. For those of you who weren't able to come for whatever reason, know this, God has used you, whether you prayed for us, whether you helped financially, whether you came to the banquet, whether you helped decorate, whether you helped do anything towards doing this trip to Zambia and to Chihuahua Village, you've been a part of this ministry, and you've been a part of what's happened. You need to know how valuable each and every contribution has been, yeah. no matter what it has been. You have worked towards this ministry and towards the blessing that, that it has been both Amen. in Africa and here right. in our lives. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Barry. Dennis, tell us a little bit about Chihuahua.
2: Well, in Tuwala, we, um, we had to uh, be very flexible when we got there. Happy and Evangelina are a young couple. Uh, they have dedicated their lives to serving their community and uh, Happy had uh, a plot of land given to him by his father, which now is, um, at the t- when we left, it was being challenged by the chief of the area. And they're young, um, and they were really discouraged before we got there. And uh, one of the biggest things we did was be- was able to encourage them. Uh, it was like living out of the book of Nehemiah. We came, and uh, what we wanted to do was build a wall to, to um, protect their property, and that's what we began. But uh, God showed up in some amazing ways. The first day on the way there, uh, the bus broke down a kilometer away from Happy's house, and we were able to meet the chief of, chief of police, found out there's a, a bunch of Canadians coming to Happy's place. And
0: that, was the, that was the hired bus. Yeah, The bus that we had hired to get us to Tuwala It broke down just before we got there
2: and when we got there uh dennis barrett helped happy look at his map and resurvey his land and find out we had he had more land than he thought he got a surveyor out to begin surveying it we began building the wall and then when the uh, second team showed up the the chief of uh, the chief from the area was there to challenge um happy and to say you can't build this wall and all this kind of stuff there's a mine that has a road going through uh happy's property they want to mine limestone for cement there and uh, we're happy's in the process of uh, contesting that but the chief was there and the bus we showed up coming from town with our bus and got off five or six uh, white Canadians and then the bus with the rest of the Kitway and Tawala team showed up and uh, the bus driver, not knowing who the chief was, started beeping his horn to get out of the way. <laughs> and out comes 20 more white North American Canadians. At that point, the chief left in quite a hurry. And um, so we began to build the wall. Uh, Lyle did plumbing. Uh, when Inquan got there, there was 240 volts of bare wire running across the property from one... one uh, connection box to another building with little two year olds and I tripped over it once and Inquan thought that was he couldn't he couldn't stand that so he worked very diligently with Dennis Barrett to make sure that got buried that the electrical was tried to bring up to snuff.
0: When uh when Happy was saying telling the group he said, I just wanna I just want to
2: preach the gospel and Inquan said, I just want to get the wires off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> So Hinquam was able to bury the cable, um, try to get it up to uh, somewhat cold. Lyle uh, fixed all the plumbing in the house, installed another bathroom. Um, when the container comes, they're going to be ready to, to install in some, um, some quarters for some of his staff. There's the foundations of a church being laid, and uh, Danny and his team painted the whole building. Um, and then we had some fun in the prayer meetings uh, every night. Um, There's a song leader, and I think there's a dance leader too. I think that's why most of the Africans we met were uh, well underweight or good weight because they can't sing without dancing, (laughs) so it's very active. We met a bunch of people. Everybody gave their testimony at different times. Um, An interesting thing that Happy wants to do is disciple some of the young men and women uh, to be leaders in Africa and situated about a kilometer and a half, two kilometers from his place is Chawala Technical High School, which has 1,800 students living in residence and another 600 that come daily to the school. A happy has six young people living at his house so that they can go to those schools. And uh, one night we had uh, a young man named Victor, who is the um, I think he's the prefect or something. He's the person. The chief person in the dorm, uh, he has lots of influence. And he came the first night, heard Adam's testimony, came the second night, heard another testimony. And him and a, about 10 to 15 young uh, young men gave their lives to the Lord that night. And, uh, <laughs> and then Victor, every night he was there, showed up. And school finished the, the following week. He went home for the weekend, but he was back on Sunday night. And he was there for every day. We were there just eating it up, trying to find out more. And uh, he could be a, a real influence on the people of Zambia. And not only that, but we taught him how to play tackle football. <laughs> Adam has the bruises to uh, verify that. Um, and, yeah, we were touched uh, by the village, by the people, by the love, by the generosity of the people, the way they welcomed us in. And, uh it just was a wonderful, wonderful place to Dennis,
0: be. there's a project that we... Uh, maybe I'll get Janet to tell us about that. Janet, there's a project that we started. We hadn't planned on that. We hadn't prepared for it. But uh, why don't you tell us about, about that? Sure, okay.
3: Yeah, so as Dennis has already mentioned, I think Evangeline especially was uh, pretty much at the end of her rope. She was really in a very uh, bad, bad way. It's, you know, you really can't imagine it um, unless you're there, but... She has zero privacy, so uh, Happy's a Zambian, she's a Canadian, but everybody that's living on their property, and they've got four uh, sort of adopted children living in the house with them, they've got uh, what they refer to as the palace that has workers living on their property and a family living on their property in that that palace building that Inquan was so worried about protecting the children, the little children that live in that building. And then in their tool shed, they have another family with children living. And all the villagers from the neighborhood come every day to Happy and Evangeline's place uh, because it's a happy place to be. But you know that equates to 30, 40, 50 or more people on the property all the time. So she's really got zero privacy. The, the people are in her house. Uh, they're constantly knocking at her door. Happy has chickens, so people come to buy eggs, and, uh, you know, she wrote us a very beautiful letter that I think Pastor Allen's going to read on the 18th, Uh, but she was really at her wit's end, and and we knew we had to do something for her, to help her. They live very communally, she's a Canadian, she's not used to it, and so I'm not sure exactly how Pastor Allen got the idea, I think God revealed it to him. But um, we took on a special project to build Evangeline and Happy a special little place all of their own. And we called it the Secret Garden. And it was outside their bedroom. We basically uh, removed the window from their bedroom and put in a door and then built with concrete bricks a, uh, a wall, three, three-sided wall, courtyard, around um, their bedroom. Uh, We put in some windows at the top for ventilation, and uh, she was so happy to have her secret garden. She just kept saying, you know, I never imagined I could have something like this. I never imagined that we'd have a place to go. I mean, in the morning, she gets up, and there's people there. So she says, you know, I can't even go into the kitchen and eat my breakfast in my pajamas. The only place I can stay is in my bedroom, and I'm trapped like a prisoner. So they were so happy. At first they were tentative, oh, we don't need the garden. It's, it's whatever God will provide will be good enough. And, and then um, once we, as we started to build the garden, they even happy started to get on board. He's going to hang a private wash line in the garden, and they're going to do all kinds of, uh, the first night the walls were built, we put a tent up in the garden, and they slept in their secret garden, just the two of them. So uh, she was so happy and, and so thankful, and, and happy was to, to get that secret garden, and it'll really be a, a very nice place of refuge for both of them. Um, I mean, it, you know, they, they have to be involved with the people, but they also need to, what we kept telling Evangeline is, you can't, if you give everything, you know, you're, you're not gonna do anybody any good if you burn yourself out, so you need to look after yourself and this was something we could give to Evangeline so she can look after herself.
0: Uh, yeah, it was. It really was awesome. I mean, to preserve the missionary so that the work can go on, that's really what it came down to. Janet, uh, as the project manager, uh, coming home now, it's, it's just about all over, except for the September 18th, where we really tell all the details, which you're going to love to hear about. Um, just your overall impression.
3: Well, I mean, I do have to say... I was very struck, as Barry's already mentioned, with um, being able to have a glimpse into the way, really the way the most of the world lives. Most of the world does not live like we live in North America. And being able to uh, have a glimpse into that uh, just really makes you um, think about Uh, Life in a whole different way. I've actually had a bit of a rough time adjusting because I just keep thinking back to, uh, okay, I come home and I have my job and I have my house and I have all my stuff. And then you think about Rogers. What does Rogers have? You think about the people that live in the shed. Uh, You think about the people in the village that we visited. I'll tell you a story quickly. um, Happy took us to visit one of the uh, villages Shauna had brought a bag of little dolls, you know, just little ones, maybe I don't know, four or five inches high. And you know, you go in this village, and it's huts, some huts with no roofs and and no walls, and it's it's this is how they live. And uh, at first they were very shy, and then Shauna who was not shy at all, just marched right up there and started handing out her dolls, you know, before we even realized what was happening. And as soon as the kids saw that she had something, they started coming to her. And on the way in, she handed this doll to this maybe little uh, four-year-old girl. And as we were leaving, uh, you see lots of mothers, or actually you see very young children carrying babies on their backs. E- everywhere, that's the the way they carry their babies there. And and on our way out, here's this little four-year-old girl. She had taken a piece of cloth and wrapped it around her back, and she had stuck her little baby doll in yeah. th- on her back. You know, so um just really the thought of how you know an accident of birth is the difference between living in Africa and living in North America. And as Barry said. If you're not moved by that, there's really something wrong with you, for sure. Yeah.
0: I'm going to ask you just to roll down a little bit, Dennis, if you'll come in here, bring your chair. Can you bring, bring that chair along? Oh, I'm going to stand. No, you're going to sit. <laughs> well, you're going to Yeah, we're we're in a sitting mood here. I'm going to put you right here in the middle here. <clears throat> and uh, Dennis want just uh, pass your mic off to Dennis. Just catch that. And, the Dennis Mike. The Dennis Mike. We are uh, we are really privileged. I I don't say that lightly. We, we are really privileged and honored to have um, the weed family in our church. It was at the banquet back in February. Um, that is it February or is it March? February. I don't. Know. I'm neither. <laughs> Seems like forever ago. Anyway, Dennis was here and he was reporting on the villages of hope. Dennis, uh, back a few years ago, just through God's leading, was able to see a village of hope established in Burundi. And you've heard me talk a little bit about Burundi. And uh, Dennis was so moved at that banquet that he really felt he wanted to be part of this team here. He wanted to be part of this church family. He's thrilled, excited about it. And um, he says he's thrilled. But i would to tell you how thrilled I am that uh, we have in our church. A pioneer in this mission work, and the, the privilege and honor that's ours now to partner with Dennis and Sally in uh, in seeing that work go forward. Dennis, would you tell us a little bit about the Village of Hope in Burundi? I uh, know again, there are how many villages? There are seven villages altogether. Seven villages in Zambia, Burundi, Malawi, Zimbabwe, and Kenya. Yeah. Now. I know that you were moved by what you heard here this morning. You are really moved by that. Tell us a little bit about the work in Burundi and about the part that our church can play in that. Would you do that? Sure. So Burundi was, uh, the Village of Hope in Burundi was established January in 2010, so it's relatively new considering where uh, your group was in Kitwe. That was established in about 1998, so it's been going for a little while. And I look at the Village in Kitwe and go, that's what, we can aspire to in, in Burundi, as they've got a large community school. They house around 160 kids in Kitway, but the school holds holds about 950 students. So in Burundi, we're just really small. We've got 51 kids that we, we started looking after. We originally started with 43, and the numbers you know slowly grown as money becomes available. Um, I started, I guess, bugging, I, I say bugging. Uh, Sergio calls me the uh, uh, what is it, the uh, uh, the widow that just keeps on begging for him. Because uh, I, I didn't leave him alone. I, I started bugging him in about 2007. And then uh, Delson, who's my right-hand man in Burundi, went and met him. And Sergio really liked him. So he didn't like me, but he liked Delson. So as a result, <laughs> Village of Hope in Burundi started in January 2010. And uh, we've got 51 kids. It's not like any of the other villages. We don't house the kids yet. Uh, most of them have aunties, uncles, or friends, or extended family that is willing to look after them. So they give them a place to stay, but because of just really difficult circumstances, you have to understand the, the unemployment rate, we complain when it hits eight or 9%. It's 70%, seven zero. Seven zero, yeah. 70% unemployed so you know if you add two three mouths to feed in your house you're, you're, you're killing the family so we step in we make sure that the kids get to school because school is not free uh, in Kitwe, it is they've made a, a school that is free and it's non-uniform most schools there are uniform schools so uh, the president of Burundi made primary school free but if you don't have a uniform you can't go to school now the other issue is there's a ton of of, um, uh, refugees in burundi burundi uh, has had horrible times and they had a civil war that just ended in 2005 but people move from country to country because of problems in their country and they're safe in the neighboring country even though there may be a war there so there's a lot of congolese in burundi that don't speak the language which is which is kirundi so they can't go to the government schools that are free so they have to go to private schools, which are now you've got to pay for tuition and a uniform. So we make sure that the kids can get to school. On their way to school, we have a house that we rent right next door to the church, and that, that is where they get breakfast. They come back there after school. We've hired a tutor to help them get caught up because uh, you know, they may have been in school a little bit, but if they didn't pay the fees, they got kicked out. So they've had a lot of years where three terms, the beginning of each term, they might get two or three weeks of education, and they're kicked out. So even though they may be in grade four or grade five, they might only have a grade one or two education. So we have a tutor that's getting them up to speed. So it's, it's like we have this center, and all the kids are living in the community, and they, they keep coming there. So what, what we did originally, is Sergio su- strongly suggested that we take half the kids from the church, and half the kids from the community. And what we've seen happen over time is uh, probably 90% of the kids that were taken from the community have now given their life to Christ.
1: Hallelujah. Thank God.
0: And are now uh, in the church. So what what you saw this morning with Kisu's family, this this is like the best entertainment in Africa. So people come and at the church they have a choir and that choir attracts people and the kids come so a lot of the kids from the community have joined the church choir and they're getting discipled they're getting mentored they're getting all the things so they're getting fed they're getting an education they're getting medical treatment if they need it and most importantly they're getting the gospel so it's it's exciting to see the opportunities that god's opened up so barry janet dennis i totally understand what you guys are saying i was in your shoes in 2002 and you know it, it completely revolution revolutionized my life you know if, if you think about you know Barry what you said that you know you've got to be stone cold if you if it doesn't impact you well now my whole life revolves around it so get ready for more change <laughs> excellent uh, Dennis uh, this uh, this village was really established through you wasn't it yep
3: heart it's amazing
0: the the doors that God has opened up along the way. But you know, if you if you put your hand up and say, God use me, get ready because it's going to happen. Dennis, uh, the the country how does it stand in terms of numbers regarding Christianity? It's, it's it's similar to Zambia. A very high percentage of people would profess Christianity, and I would I would put the born again believer numbers somewhere around twenty percent. Twenty percent. So much higher than Canada. Much higher. Is there much happening by way of missions in, in Burundi? Uh, it's it's just starting because uh, if you've seen the movie Hotel Rwanda, Burundi and Rwanda used to be one country. How many have seen Hotel Rwanda? It's if you haven't, if you don't know anything about it, basically. It's a story of the genocide that the took genocide place. that happens between the Hutus and the Tutsis. and how many people actually died through that about the population of Winnipeg? Did you get that? population of Winnipeg wiped out, yeah. and that was in Rwanda, that was in Rwanda and in, and in Burundi. The Burundian war, which nobody knows about, went on longer, and more people died than in, in Rwanda. So in terms of opportunity, yeah. and that's what always throws my heart, in fact, we've been doing a series through. Uh, cross church goes to Greece we talk about the opportunity that the Apostle Paul had uh, going and preaching the gospel in these places that had never heard the gospel Burundi is kind of like that isn't it yeah. tell us about that the, the, the president himself is a born-again believer and,
3: and you've met him
0: I have met the president he had me over to his house with a couple other guys and uh, it, was, it was interesting uh, he, I told him about my plans that was before I even had anything on the ground and, you know, so now we've, we've been able to get it going. And I, I've stayed in touch with one of his uh, close cabinet ministers. Every time I go there, I touch base with him and just let him know what's happening. So the president's aware of Village of Hope, Burundi. And actually, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we are now official. We've been registered with the Burundian government, uh, which, you know, there, there are a lot of people who aren't Christians. And there's becoming more opposition to um, registering or licensing Christian organizations in Burundi. There, there's very little there. The country just ended their war six years ago. So you, you know, in terms of stability, if you go to the Canadian Foreign Affairs website, they'll basically say don't go. But there are a few organizations there, and I'm, so they, th- I'm thankful I'm one of them. They say the Canadian government will say don't go to Burundi. No, it's not. But the anybody like to go to Burundi? Anybody? Yeah, go. they've got a few people ready to go. Uh, well, okay. On that note, then. Um, This really is really a fantastic opportunity, uh, particularly for our church, to be part of something that is uh, so new. Um, We're going in almost uncharted territory, really. If you don't speak French and you don't speak Swahili or Kirundi, it's a little tougher. You need a a translator. It was a Belgian colony, so when the kids go to school, they learn French. They don't learn English. They've now introduced English to secondary schools, but this is completely grassroots. They're, they're, you know, some of the places I've stayed are a little rustic. You guys are kind of uh, understand that now. But there's such huge opportunity, and, and people have nothing. And when they have nothing, and you come with something, and you're willing to share the gospel with them, they're going to listen. Nothing by Canadian standards is explain that. It really means nothing. When when they say I have nothing, they probably have the clothes they're wearing, and that's it. That's it. There is no bank account. There is no money. There is no paycheck coming next week. No home. No home. It's you know it really means nothing by our standards. When we say I'm broke, it means well I don't have anything right now, but I'm getting paid on Friday, and that's just not the reality there. Dennis. what what's your what's the long-term goals would you like to see a a village established absolutely uh you know one of one of the key things is is to get a school uh you know really go down the path that sergio went and establish a school get get a school school going a, a primary school so that and then you can kind of grow as the kids grow older you keep adding another year to it you know it took sergio a lot of years to get to where he is yeah but god's provided you know, I think he's running with something like a $250,000 budget a year. But look at what he's able to accomplish For with people. that. You know, here, $250,000, like, okay, you get a house that isn't even, like, an amazing house. It's, it's a house, but that's it. There, they have a full, a full school a village housing kids, paying teachers, a headmaster, everything. And it's just amazing what you can accomplish. And, you know, what you guys are saying, we have so much. We do, Dennis. You're heading out. Is it on Saturday? I Friday. This this coming Friday, you're heading yeah. out. Um, I asked you back a few a few months ago what we could do to help uh, further the work there. You've got Delson on site, who's really responsible for the for the village. It's in Burundi. Uh, Sergio tells me that Delson is an amazing, amazing worker, sent by God. What can what can we do to to bless the Burundi work right away. One of the key things is is we need a vehicle. Uh Delson lives you know, if you can kinda consider Winnipeg, let's say Village of Hope is here and Delson lives near the U of M, but he doesn't have a car and there is no buses. And he's responsible and he's for responsible the work. He's responsible for this every day. So he takes a taxi in. So to have a vehicle or to be able to transport the kids to medical appointments or uh, just being able to deal with various appointments just to administer the, the whole operation, uh, a vehicle would be huge. And uh, he tells me he can do that for about $6,000. 6000 And that'll get him a van, which he'll be able to easily transport uh, people. I don't know if you guys saw Toyota Hiace vans there. Very popular, they're all right-hand drive, even though Burundi's a left-hand drive country, they don't care. Uh, but it's functional and it works and that's okay. something that would be huge for him. Okay, so $6,000 um, vehicle anything else? The one other thing that that we're we're doing is we the house that we have we're renting and uh, we, we have it for as long as we want it But we'd like to ta- turn that house into a home that houses the kids who are in the greatest need so to furnish the house and to be able to get some operating income to get that going Uh, another four thousand dollars would be more than enough so for ten thousand dollars we can get the house and get a vehicle for jelson absolutely okay that's uh that's ten thousand dollars by my arithmetic greg am i right got that right um i uh i was praying i've been praying about this actually for a number of months as you know and uh just before I left, I felt God really impressing upon my heart that uh, our church needed to do something. But this is a huge step of faith for me as your pastor to even ask because you've just raised so much money for, for Kitway and Chihuahua. And uh, I had someone say to me, really, you're going to go back and ask for more? Okay, look at, can I just tell everybody here? This is, just, this is a privilege and opportunity that you have to share. And uh, if you don't want to, then don't worry about it. But if God lays it on your heart to, to give something toward this work, uh, it would be such a privilege and honor to, to be part of, of what God wants to do in Burundi. Essentially, what's happening is that there's really been no church that's come behind this work. Is that right, Dennis? Yeah, the, the church, and there's some just amazing things. The church that I'm connected with there, before they ever even heard of who Dennis Weeb was, they had already formed plans beginning in 2005 to do exactly what we want to what do. we're doing yeah and they had already you know drafted documents and and had plans to move forward then Delson who's living in in Lusaka Zambia has a business and feels God's calling him to go back to his home country and leave his business to go to Burundi for nothing he has nothing there remember that and he's just he, God's he, leading just God's leading he left and he stayed there and waited for me he met me when I was there in 2007 just um, an acquaintance, not even somebody he knew By about, chance. By chance. Yeah. God's chance. Yeah. That he meets me, he introduces me to, I, I asked him to go find a church that we could partner with that you know, is truly Bible believing and, and really tr- preaches the gospel and he goes and connects me with his church called Burundi Assemblies of God. They've all had plans before they even met me to do this kind of work. So th- God laid it on their hearts and brings Dennis We Belong. I, for just the right hour. Dennis, you yeah. about to cry again. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, I'm telling it's, you, it's crazy. It's, it's just amazing. I never you saw know, so many men when, crying. When, when I go there, you have to understand, Like when you're in Lusaka, you, you do, do see quite a few white people, or Wazungu. When I'm in Burundi, I might see one other white person in two weeks, and it's, you know that's probably an aid worker or something. Yeah. And that, that's it. Like it's, it's a relatively untouched country. So here we have a cha- an opportunity. Now, my friends Herb and Iris are here this morning, they've been involved in missions for all the years that I've known them, particularly with Africa. And I know this is going to touch your heart, but this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for our church to do something fresh, something new, to really get behind a work that's just getting established in a country that has almost no mission work, Folks, this is, this is probably one of the most strategic things our church has ever been able to do. Would you agree with that? It's one, really one of the most strategic things. And so here's, here's what I want to throw out to you. By faith, I just want to challenge you. If you're able to, to help towards this project, $10,000, basically 20 people to give $500 would do the trick. Am I, have I got that right, Greg? Yeah. 20 people giving $500, and if you think the person beside you can't afford it, you can give up for them as well. I don't know but this is totally if you want to. I'm not pressuring anybody. We have a giving center in the back, and by faith, I'm gonna believe that God's gonna lay it on your heart to, to make a contribution. There's a, a Visa machine. You can use a Visa, MasterCard, your debit card. You can write a check, but there's envelopes back there. If you'd like to support this, I want you just to write on the envelope, Burundi, and by faith, we wanna send we want to send Dennis off with $10,000 so we can get that house and uh, and get that vehicle. Uh, Den- uh, Barry, what would you say, everybody, regarding this? This is an opportunity. This is an amazing opportunity to get started supporting a ministry from the ground up. Um, Dennis has said that um, Sergio has been uh, with the Village of Hope in Kitway for a number of years, and we see the fantastic uh, work that he's done there. The tremendous results in reaching the children from uh, age, I believe it's age, uh, school age of grade three right through until adulthood. And, um, yeah, this is, this is amazing. Um, absolutely. Yeah, let's get behind 100%. Janet?
3: Well, I don't know where Danny is, but I'm ready to write a check. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dennis? Hi, Dennis Mike. I'm, I'm right with Janet. Um, I was reading a book called Fasting for Change, and uh, it talks about the affluence we have here, and if people would just give 1% of their income to feed the hungry, preach the gospel but it's amazing what we could do and uh so i challenge you to think about 1% of your income i just want to
0: echo what everyone said it's impossible not to yeah. go and not be changed and i just wanted to encourage Dennis that um a few people have already been giving and we've already got about 1500 for your project wow, thank you. Thank you. I just want to say a couple of things so you understand a little bit about who I am and what my commitment is. I'm not there doing the work every day. God's given me the task to come here and work hard and raise money. And uh, I, I left a, a job at IBM and and you know, gave away a secure two, every two-week paycheck to go do something that I had an opportunity to earn more money and connect with other people. So I started selling real estate. And it's amazing what, what God's done. But... I just can't help but remembering uh, being in Uganda, and I don't know if you're familiar with the organization Watoto. Gary Skinner founded that in Uganda. And we were, we were in his home church when they were sending off the choirs uh, to come to North America, and he was challenging his people. And you have to understand who you're sitting with in that congregation, and, and he's telling them, give, give enough that it, it, it pinches, that it hurts. And, you know, we we often think, about well, oh, I can't afford it, I can't afford it. And, you know, the reality is, even if you threw a couple thousand in the plate, if you've got a good secure job, you wouldn't even notice it in a year. And yet he's challenging these African people who, you know, I I remember being in a church and they took up an offering for me, and the reality is I earned more than everybody in that congregation put together. And, and, and they're giving me money to thank me for speaking, wow, wow. you know. It's just, it's just a completely different perspective. And we've, we've grown in such a way here in Canada that we live in a bubble and we don't really understand what the rest of the world is really like. We don't see it in the news. We don't see it anywhere. And, and we, we have so much, and we keep looking for more. Yeah. And the reality is there is so much need, and God's put us here. Amen. Uh, what's happened here this morning? is Christianity in its purest form. I hope everybody understands that. Does everybody understand that this morning? Yeah, James 1.27. This is Christianity in its very purest form, caring for the widows, the poor, the orphan, Uh, making it possible to see the preaching of the Word of God. If you thought that Christianity was all about just hearing sermons and worshiping and singing songs on Sunday, then you really don't get it. It's all about making it possible to see the Word of God go forward and seeing the poor cared for. We're going to sing that uh, that song once more, Faithful One, Soul Unchanging. But can I encourage you this morning, if, uh, if you could give a donation towards the Burundi Project, we only need $10,000. I say only need 10000 because we have learned that uh, we can raise so much when God is in it. And if you don't have the money today, but you want to pledge it, would you just write the, on the envelope, I'm, I'm pledging a certain amount of money towards the Bernie project. And uh, can I just say, Dennis, I'm so, so grateful to you to, to allow us to partner with you on this. And uh, I don't know if anybody knows this, but Dennis was in my youth group. So I'm taking full credit for everything he's doing. <laughs> I, I, it's I've kind been, of interesting okay. because I, I spin it the other way. Uh, when I came here, I, I, I came here because I wanted to be a part of something that had a similar vision to what God's given me. That's, it's that simple. No wonder we're such good friends. Same vision. We want, to see, we want to see the broken, the hurting, the disconnected, the possessed. We want to see them set free. We want to share the love of Jesus with them. I want to say a special thank you to the Kiso family. Thank you so much for ministering to us. Thank you. I, uh, the Kiso family, as some of you may know, have been attending our church now for a number of months. And uh, I am so excited that, that we uh, have them as part of our family here. And, it, and, and I, can, I can go back to Africa any minute. All I have to do is ask them to sing, and I'm back. Woo! <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say a special thank you to, to Scotty this morning and uh, Pawson. Thank you. you. You've done especially especially well getting it all together. Appreciate that. Thank you to Barry and Janet and Dennis and Shauna for ministering this morning. I hope that your hearts are moved today. This is this is Christianity, folks. This is Christianity its very rawest and purest form. And I am so excited to be part of a church that got a heart like this for world missions. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and close with that song, Faithful One.